Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So hello, we'd like to welcome everyone to this edition of Mornings with Joel, our CRE podcast. And uh, it's a very exciting Monday morning. It's a beautiful day here in Atlanta, and we're happy to have you with us. Very special guest we have today, Sonia, like Tanya Rockfield, is uh, with us today. You know, we're very excited to have her. Uh, Me and uh, Sonia, we we go back a few years and was uh, instrumental in working with her on one of her early transactions. And you know, she's continued to uh, be a rock star in the industry. So we're happy to have her with us. Sonia, how are you doing today? Joining I'm us doing Brooklyn. great. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in I'm in New York. We're in Brooklyn. Uh, it's it's not as sunny out here today, but, okay. you know, looking forward to the rest of the week. Thank you for having me on this podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you with us. So so let's um dive into a, a little bit of a background. You know, one thing that we try to accomplish here is get a chance to talk with people that you may not see on the cover of certain magazines and, you know, they don't have that fame. But what you often wonder is, how did a person get from A to Z? You know, we we see them at the top of the mountain and it's like, okay, but you didn't see the journey to get there, right? And that's really where the learning takes place. So, so Sonia, if you don't mind, um, just tell us a little bit about your background uh, for our audience here and, you know, what made you even want to get this get going in uh, commercial real estate? Okay, so thanks. Yeah, so just a a little bit of an overview. I'm the principal and founder of my company, Bedrock Real Estate Investors. And uh, my company identifies, acquires, and manages and operates multifamily apartment buildings. And we do that by syndicating our deals. So what that means is that we purchase apartment buildings and we work with investors, people who want to purchase apartment buildings with us and we pool their money together. And collectively we purchase, we purchase these uh, multifamily assets. So okay. I've, I've been doing that since 2014. Okay. And, you know, I, I didn't start out in real estate at all. So how did you start? Where, where did you start in, in in your professional career? Yeah. So I, I started out in, in audit. So my first, I, my background is in accounting okay. and my first job was an auditor for what would now be part of the big four accounting firms. And I was there for about three and a half years or so. And, you know, I, It was invaluable experience, but I knew that I didn't want to be a partner there. Mm -hmm. So I knew that, you know, after I got my license, pretty soon after that, I'd I'd probably be transitioning out. And I had an opportunity to do that. So after I I left the CPA firm, I went on to uh, working at American Express and I spent the majority of my career there. I got my um, MBA part time and I was in financial services doing financial analysis Great people, worked with a lot of people, had a chance to do a lot of different roles. But at some at some point, you know, riding the subway to 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 work, I took the opportunity mm-hmm. to just read books. And one of them was, you know, probably a book that everybody's read at this point, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. And I I got bitten by the real estate bug. You know, it was just fascinating to me, just uh, the thought of, of, of real estate, commercial real estate. And I think sometimes just being in New York, real estate is everywhere. It's everything, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And then I think sometimes you just don't even see it because it's just always there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I was trying trying to figure out like, how am I going to make, I, I really want to do this, but how am I going to make this work? What's my current role Right. as fate or as, you know, blessings would have it, mm-hmm. you know, there were changes in the company and my, my entire group, uh, you know, including myself, we were all laid off and it was like a great, it was a great point for me because I was thinking, okay, what do I do next? Try to find another job in the company, move to a competitor, or do I try this real estate thing? 
you know, do I yeah. try to, to, to do this? And, you know, it took a, a lot of soul searching, a lot of conversations with my, my, my family, my husband, you know, my parents who were all supportive, but they were sort of skeptical about what mm-hmm. I'm actually I'd be doing. And um, fortunately, fortunately, at the same time, Project Reap in New York presented itself. And mm-hmm. uh, like, so somebody told me about it, I should say, and I applied and, you know, just a few weeks after I left my job, I was already starting with Project Reap in New York. And that also helped to really open my eyes to the different types of commercial real estate. I have to say multifamily just resonated with me. Yeah. And so then after that, started consuming all things real estate. I joined my local RIA. I joined a multifamily investment group. And I met a joint venture partner through that multifamily investment group. I started passively investing in apartment deals so I could build up some like credibility as mm-hmm. as to, you know, having those conversations with brokers and talking about about real estate to people who would potentially be investors. Mm-hmm. And then we got our first deal in 2014 and fortunately okay. I was able to work with you Joel in in closing that transaction. Yeah, yeah, well fantastic. Well, let's let's <clears throat> kind of recap there because you you brought up a lot of very very good information and I I'm, I'm happy you did. Uh, if you look at it, so here you are, you're in accounting, you work for a, a very large corporation. You know, many people feel that they have security in a large corporation, but you've just proven that that is not the case. Uh, you can work for the biggest of the biggest and still get laid off, right? Which is certainly the case if, with you. You you mentioned about the soul searching that it took for you to kind of get out of your comfort zone, to be able to say, because it would have been easier to just go get another job. But then again, if you look at what was going on in Brooklyn back at that point in time, downtown Brooklyn was really starting to take off and and be redeveloped. And so you see all this going on. You're right in the middle of it. You see people making money. It's not you, you know, and it's like, how can I get a piece of that? So where do you think you got the courage from to to step up and say, you know what, let me just try this as opposed to just getting another paycheck? Yeah, I mean, it was having those conversations. Well, first of all, Thank God I have my family who was just very, you know, very supportive of me. And I think that was that was the that was a critical piece, I think, in helping in, in me mm-hmm. making that step. Because, you know, one of the things my husband told me was, was like, you know what, you talk about this all the time. You're always talking about real estate. Why mm-hmm. not try it? Why not do it? And and a lot of times these things sort of line up, like mm-hmm. the fact that Project Reap. I was able to get in at that particular point so I could make a really quick transition into into deep diving into commercial real estate. I was in the REA group and then I was joining, able to join that multifamily investment group. You know, I was starting to build around me also, uh, you know, a support system. Right. to be able to do this. And I realized there were other people out there. There were other people who were doing what I wanted to do. And one of the key things was that I knew that investing in New York, because I was thinking about when I was thinking about, you know, real estate investing, New York is so expensive mm-hmm. and multifamily in New York is even more expensive. And you really need to have deep pockets to do that. And so I was thought, okay, you know, what I really liked about the groups and the people that I was meeting was just that they were investing outside of New York. They were in New York, but investing outside of New York. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, it made me realize that I could be open to not just being in my backyard, which happened to be a very expensive backyard, yeah, yeah. And hard to break through into. Yeah. So putting those pieces together and realizing you know, if I don't try it now, like, like it, there's, you know, you got windows of opportunity to do mm-hmm. things. And when you sure. think, okay, what happens if I don't do this? So sometimes it's like, okay, you think, okay, what happens if I do this? But what happens if I don't do this now? Mm-hmm. And then in that whole process, it was like, okay, it's it's really it's really now or mm-hmm. it's never going to be easier. It's, it's never yeah. going to be like a better time later on. Right. So sometimes you just have to see the opportunities and, you know, step out on faith and try it. And, you know, we, we did have, you know, we were just thinking about our financial planning and, and, and things like that. And we didn't have our children at that time. So there was definitely some, some more flexibility in my schedule um, Mm -hmm. then. 
yeah. to try something like this. So I think all those pieces together helped. Yeah, you you bring up a good point. You know, I, I remember an exercise that I did with uh, one of my business coaches, and it really made you think. You know, they had me go through the exercise of kind of writing my obituary, right? And you kind of sit there and you say, okay, what are people going to say? You know, this guy talked a whole lot and didn't do nothing or <laughs> or he actually got out there and put forth some effort to get things done. And, you know, when you think about it, especially as you get older, look at all the years that fly by and how fast they fly by. Right. And you, the one thing about time, you can never get it back. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. And so to take advantage of those opportunities while it's right there in front of you is, is very interesting. And, uh, you know, happy you had the courage to do that because you're right. If you would have slipped back into another job then your time would have been eaten up and you wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to do a lot of these things. So that was huge. You know, one other thing you mentioned that I thought was very valuable is you mentioned um, your association. You know, you started associating with other groups and other members and other people that were in the space. Uh, you got some training. Then you also took some first steps by putting some money out yourself into deals. So you could kind of see what it feels like on the investor side, which I think is very powerful because people can then, know what their investors want, you know, because ultimately you're working and you got to please those investors. So how, how did that make you a better investor? How, how do you think that came into play with that? Yeah, I think it was really important from from multiple reasons. So first of all, I, I was making a transition and mm -hmm. people make transitions all the time, but I thought that it helped to add to my, you know, new resume that I was building out because essentially like I had a whole other career path previously and I was pivoting and wanted to try to figure out how can I make that pathway leading into into what I ultimately wanted to do. So I thought, okay, Part of it is I don't have my own deal right now. I, I was just starting out. If I found people that I feel comfortable with that I thought would be good sponsors and stewards, put money into an investment there, and then you can just learn. And then mm -hmm. you're also building up your own um, resume, like I was mentioning. And to yeah. me, that was also very important for a few points. Since I was going to start talking to brokers and talking to them about, you know, wanting to get deals to start having like, you know, deal flow mm -hmm. adds a little bit more credibility when you at least have some level of experience, even though, of course, I'm saying that, you know, I'm an, you know, I'm an equity partner in these deals, but I could still have that on my, you know, resume, if you will, of, of, of deals that I've been exposed to and invested in that completely, mm -hmm. you know, especially in a commercial space where there's fewer brokers, you will not, you, you do want to have a good relationship and have a, a good impression with the people that you're working with. Like yeah, anyway. yeah. <clears throat> that's a valuable point. You know, the thing about it also, uh, Sonia, is that it, it adds toward what Rich Dad Poor Dad talked about becoming an investor. You know, if you look at that, that the four quadrants, to me, that was the best book. I haven't yeah. enjoyed it. in the best, yeah. but, um, yeah. but it's, it's really good when you think about it, because ultimately your goal is to be that investor, right? Where you're putting money out and getting a return. You know, it seems like the, the part of the, the least stress for in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, but that's a powerful point because then you go from, well, I'm already an investor, right? I'm already an equity investor in these deals. So now I'm actually doing my own and it has credibility. So I think that's a very, very good idea. Certainly people can do that as well as it comes to getting that done. Now, you mentioned also about markets, as you know already, I grew up in Manhattan. So I'm very, very familiar with the price of real estate, right? And it's all around you. Uh, how did you decide? Because, you know, New Yorkers tend to have tunnel vision. It's like, if it's happening, it's in New York. New York is it. It's the end of the world. You know, the world is flat after New York. It all falls off, right? But how do you get to the point of realizing, well, hey, there's greater opportunities in other markets where I could actually make more money and have good or opp greater opportunity and ha even have a lower bar of access of entry? You're right about that. Sometimes there is that New York tunnel vision. One of the things that I did was just starting to look at some of the key metrics, some of the things that are that are important for like multifamily investing. And so I started looking, I started first by looking at some trends. So I was looking at population growth trends. I was looking at unemployment rate trends. And I was looking at this at the at the MSA level because all that information is aggregated at a federal level. So you can you can you can see it in different places, the Census Bureau, et cetera. So uh, so when I was looking at some of the key metrics of 
growth and population, business-friendly states, landlord-friendly states, South and Southeast seem to, to really hit a lot of those bars. Mm-hmm. And then as I started talking to people, I, I kind of zoomed in on Atlanta and, and because it hit, it hit a lot of those, it, like I said, it hit a lot of those, those bars and it had also the, you know, the highest concentration of fortune 500 company, like headquarters, you know, in the Southeast and mm-hmm. just a lot of strong economic indicators, even though Atlanta really <clears throat> did get hit pretty hard with the first crash that happened in, in, in 2008. And so, when I was looking at those pieces and I started talking to people, then I started hearing things just anecdotally like, oh yeah, I know, you know, my, my family moved down there or, you know, it was just like anecdotal information mm-hmm. about some of the, st- the stats that I was seeing. And so that also just sort of made a, a, a positive, you know, positive impression on me. Then I also just started looking further at, at the news and what was happening in, in the market. And, and then it was a matter of reaching out and talking to brokers specifically, and then just like starting that deal flow because there were other markets that I looked at initially that I thought were good, were going to be really good markets. And I, and I knew people there and I wanted to do those you know, move into those markets, mm-hmm. but then the, the the metrics that I was looking at just didn't support it. And so, you know, it's important to understand the market that you're moving into. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, um, Kwame has uh, joined us. He's one of our regulars. Good to have you, Kwame. Uh, he had a question for you, and um, I wanted him to go ahead and jump in here and get a chance to ask this question. Kwame, you mind asking that? So first of all, Sonia, it is a pleasure and an honor to meet you. I, I joined Project Reeve. Um, I've seen you involved with Cure here in New York, and I'm just so excited about this conversation. So I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more about um, the accessing of capital. What I've noticed is there's been a lot of publicized efforts on the part of you know firms like a, a JP Morgan and, and other large firms to provide this capital. But recently, I kind of discovered a lot of those, though, that access to capital comes in the forms of a loan or a debt product. What I'm not seeing, and I've seen a couple of them, is I'm not seeing these private equity firms, you know, who who to talk in closed doors about partnering with developers of color, you know, to have strategic relationships with them. I've seen a couple. I think Rod Mullis was on here. He talked about working with Calsters. Uh, Dewan Williams is working with Tishman Spire and Silverstein. I run the real estate group for Brown University. Um, and my alum, Leslie Smallwood Lewis in Philadelphia is now working with Ensemble to do a $2 billion project, uh, the Philadelphia Navy Yards. So what my, what my question is kind of like, are you seeing these kind of opportunities readily available, but are there still barriers there how are you raising capital? What's going on? If you can talk more about that aspect of access and capital, I'd greatly okay. appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your question and congrats on, on what the work that you're doing. That's, that's amazing. So starting out, we were raising funds for, with friends and family. And actually we, we still do that today. So a lot of it was, you know, accessing our own, you know, cause I joint ventured on these deals. So, you know, accessing our own personal networks of people who are interested in investing with us. Um, you know, some of the groups that I joined and the, the multifamily group that I was part of, I was also able to meet other people in those groups who, who were interested in investing, but then, you know, they, at the, they ended up wanting to also be passive investors like I was, you know, in, in deals. So that was also a great source of people who, um, finding like-minded people always helps. Um, as you get though into larger deals, uh, you know what we've done is uh, the largest deal that we, we we did. We actually we are actually joint ventured again with brought in another partner who who was able to bring in a significant amount of the capital raise that we needed for that you know, for that deal. One of the challenges that you have as a syndicator, as a sponsor of the deal or general partner is that a lot of times there's a lot of upfront costs that you have to, that you have to put up. Some of it, actually most of it, you should be able to get back once, once you close the deal, but you, you, you do need to have a lot of capital upfront, especially with the, the larger size deals. Absolutely. I think though, from, from an access to capital, it's still it's still about networks. 
It's still about having the access to the networks. And so, you know, there are people who, who are partnering with, with different groups. And, and there are some, some groups that I've, I've been in discussions with, like when I have deals that I, I think that could be, you know, worthy for them to look at. I, I will share them with them for sure. But I, I still think it's like being part of the circle, being breaking the barrier to still being part of that that circle of people because they're not just gonna like find you. you. You have to you have to get into that circle, and I think that's part of the challenge for sure. Mike, I have. Can I, can I just ask one more yeah. thing? Go ahead, Kwame. Yeah. So, so, so for me, I find it interesting because, like, because I'm, I'm I run a real estate organization for a university. It's interesting for me because I, in closed doors, I hear you certain things like, "Oh, we're looking for more black developers to give money to. We're looking for this." And you know, Joel and I've had you know conversations, and I've been trying to figure out my role and how I can actually help that facilitate that. But what I'm finding us also is that they say one thing, but then they say they can't find you. Are you, are you finding that you're having uh, renewed conversations given what happened with George Floyd? Or are they actually reaching out to you to say, hey, this is what we'd like to do, Sonia. How can we work with you? Are you getting that that kind of outreach from them? So there's a group that that has been proactive in, in reaching out. And I think again, though it was it was re- it's really more of like a network thing because I was you know introduced to the group. I, we had initial good a good initial conversation, but I I think it's also about getting that access to be even to even have that initial conversation and have them be exposed to you and uh, having that door opened for for you to even. Uh, begin those types of talks. So it's it's definitely, I think it's definitely a, a challenge, especially if you're, you know, just coming up in the industry. But I, I think that it, it's important to, you know, try to, to to always like be there and to show up and, and to be part of those conversations and um, try to find a way to get in because we're definitely out here. There's no lack of of talent, you know, from from my perspective, from what I've seen from the people that I'm I'm able to interact with and work with. No, oh, very good point. Kwame, thanks for opening up that door to uh to that part of the conversation. But you know, that that's an ongoing subject. And Sonia, I think you hit the nail on the head. The bottom line is, is that it's the networks because even if you know they either don't know you or you still have to have somebody vouch for you that, yeah, this is worth making an investment in. Uh, there might be a lot of money out there allocated for that, but until it actually gets deployed, um, you know, you, they could always have the argument, well, we couldn't find no deals. You know, we couldn't find this, we couldn't find that. I'm not going to mention any names, but I just had a conversation this last week uh, with a, a young lady that was telling me about a very large institution that's raised $100 billion. And their biggest fear is that they won't be able to spend that money. They won't be able to invest it. They're like, we don't know where we're going to get the deals from. We're, we're supposed to allocate that to our minorities. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to get it from. And the reason why often is because they only know the ones that are on the covers of magazines. They don't know anybody else. Right. So that's kind of the idea behind this whole forum. You know, let's let's introduce other people who actually have experience. Like you said, Sonia, there's no lack of talent. Right. So it's there. Let's put it out there. Let's let people know what's going on and and spread that that wealth. There there should be no reason a firm should say we've got all this money and I can't find a way to spend it. That's ridiculous. Right. (laughs) So we we need to solve that problem. So that's that's crazy. But Sonia, tell us a little bit about some of the, the deals that you've done as well, so we can, um, you know, go a little bit deeper into your background. You gave us that good introduction on how you got started. You know, I could just imagine you there riding the train in from Brooklyn. You know, I, I know that feeling. I used to go the other way toward Brooklyn, but yeah, you know. So, so what have you done uh, multifamily-wise? Um, you know, since that point in time where you got over that fear of actually jumping in and and getting some stuff done. Yep. So we so we've done four multifamily deals since I started out. The first deal was uh and, and all of the deals have been in have been in Georgia. Three of them in Atlanta and one of them is in Augusta. So our, our first deal was a, a 48 unit deal. That's been our, our best deal to date. We held that deal for about two years and that was the one that Joel was instrumental in, in, in helping us get financing for that. It was a time when it was uh, the banks were just really tough with lending mm-hmm. in, in Atlanta. 
And Joel was able to source a great institution that that worked really well for us. And uh, we did very well. And, and that deal, that was, like I said, one of one of the best ones, actually the best one that we've done so far. We got to do um, it again. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Then we moved on to uh, a 56 unit deal. After that one, about two years later, we purchased that 56 unit deal and sold it also. So of the four deals, uh, life cycled or exited two of them. Mm -hmm. And then moved on to 174 unit, which is the largest deal that we've done. And, And that was the deal I was mentioning where, you know, we brought in another, another, you know, JV, GP, who mm-hmm. was helpful and and, and instrumental in, in in that raise, and then also and then Augusta is a ninety six unit deal in that market. Then that Fantastic. that was a new sub market for us. Yeah. So you think you're ever going to go back to uh, working behind a desk in some office somewhere? If I can avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's. I really like the the this this life. I mean, it's been, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I won't, uh, I can't say that sometimes I think, you know, am I working more than I was, you know, at my, my job. And in some cases I am, cause I have my hands in, uh, you know, different, different things, but at the same time, I really love it. I love the flexibility. I love looking at deals. I, I love the opportunity to help people and in so many different ways. Um, you know, I'm thinking about our investors, uh, helping them. You know, you're you are owning an apartment building complex, so you are responsible for making you know clean, safe homes for people, and that's mm-hmm. very important. And so that's you know community that aspect that you have an influence over as well. So that, you know, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about, especially as we look at new deals and, you know, and, you know, look at continued joint ventures. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. So, but, you know, it might be a lot of work, but it's rewarding work. It is. And, it uh, is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's a, it is. And, and it's, and it's exciting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good <laughs> stuff. So, Appreciate you sharing that. So let, let me just mention this uh, for anyone else that's on the call today. As you know, we we like to open up the chat box. If you have any questions or anything that you want to ask uh, Sonya about, feel free to do so. You can put that in the chat and uh, we'll certainly love to entertain your comments and your thought process. I see a couple of people on here that have been involved and are in development deals right now. So we're happy to hear from you as well if you want to uh, get engaged. But while we're uh, waiting on that, Sonia, talk to me. Um, we we had this conversation the other day, but let's do it for the benefit of everyone else. Where do you think the the market is headed as regards cap rates, opportunities, all those different types of things? Uh, you know, if if someone is trying to follow your example, you know, what would you recommend for them? Yeah. So. One of the things that I've seen, especially especially in Atlanta, which has been, you know, an anchor market for me, has been the absolute competitiveness in in the market. Mm-hmm. It has gotten, and, and that's almost an understatement. It it is extremely <laughs> competitive right now in Atlanta to to purchase multifamily, especially targeting the 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 somewhat larger size deals like a you know a hundred units and above, which is which has been our goal just because of just better economies of scale yeah. right now, you know, you're, you're competing with so many different forces. You have people who've, who are moving sectors. So money that they had initially invested in like retail or in hotels, they're now allocating towards multifamily because, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, people need a place to live. And, you know, that asset sector is just showing a lot of resiliency even though it is challenging because you still have to deal with delinquencies and collections and things like that. Mm-hmm. I also think that with that, it, it, it is, it's actually forced me to think about other, you know, how to, to look at some other markets as well to um, broaden a bit be, because of the, you know, because of, of that competitiveness in Atlanta, even though I think the fundamentals of that market are still very strong 
Uh, mm-hmm. All the things that existed previously that I looked at, I think have gotten even, you know, multiplied. And so people have been moving there, especially after the pandemic, people are looking for lower cost of living, larger size spaces. And the Southeast has been a target for a lot of population migration, if you will. And, and you know, when you have that, you have investors that, that follow right after that, especially a lot of New York money. There were a couple of deals that we got beat out by from some like family offices in New York that would not have happened, you know, a few right, years right. ago because everybody was so New York focused. And, you know, it, it's hard to say exactly what is going to be happening, you know, next. But one of the things that, that I'm hoping that we see in, improvement is it's, it's definitely in, in some of the sectors like, you know, in workforce housing, which is where we tend to, to primarily invest. So, you're, you know, you're like your class C, C plus mm-hmm. properties. There's a level of delinquency that you have to contend with because of the jobs. There's mm-hmm. a, you know, job situation. And I think that, you know, one of the things in addition to the, the vaccine getting out there so that people can start to open back up again. I know some states are more open than others. I think that between the, the vaccine jobs and, and also some of the plans, I think that the overall federal government has. So I think it's important to pay attention to those trends too. Like where where's the investment going to be going? Mm-hmm in terms of infrastructure and what what the priorities are of the administration, regardless who's sitting in the seat. I think it's important to understand that because you can see where, where the money is going. And, mm-hmm. you know, as they always say, follow the money. So yeah. well that's that's a true statement, you know, and, and it's interesting because the the things that you've mentioned as regards fundamentals is what everybody else sees, you know, so so you're not the only one. You know, and and because of that, uh, we see that Um, certainly you're absolutely right about Atlanta. Uh, You know, I was mentioning to you the other day that I saw a deal that was about five and a half on the cap rate and, you know, immediately dismissed it because it was out in the suburbs somewhere. And then I I started looking around again. I was like, wait a minute, that may not have been such a bad deal. I know. I was thinking five and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. You, You tend to get fixated in your mind as to you know, what's a realistic cap rate. And and generally, you know, when I get below five in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, midtown Manhattan, but exactly. uh, that has completely changed. It is. Wow. Completely changed, it, it, so. it has. It has. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that's good, that's really important, like when you're looking at these deals, because I'm joking with you, five and a half is actually not really. <laughs> but I mean, in this market right now, it's, 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 it's pretty competitive um, from what I'm hearing and, and seeing, but it's, it's it's having a close pulse on what's happening in the market to just help, you know, model out like, where do you think, where do you think rents are going to be able to go or what, you know, and it's a challenge because yeah. it, it's like you have to build in a, a whole lot of future future forecasting into models where in the past it was really more like, buying on you know what's there mm-hmm. you know and so now it's like you have to you have to stretch beyond that and so it's a challenge you know because you want to make sure that you have a good balance of make of of understanding you know what is there what can grow and where the value is and i think it's even yeah. more important <clears throat> now to zero on in on how you get that value and some of it may be top line but then you um you also have to look at expenses as well and so I think it takes it, it's a little bit more challenging because it takes more diligence in that underwriting process in your review process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very, very important because you you don't want to be buying, you know, basically at the top of the market like in 06, right? Those people who bought in 06 that thought it was just going to get higher and higher and higher got killed in 08. So, you know, where are we at in the cycle? I mean, things are great right now. Um, a lot of it is COVID related, but, you know, where does it start to crest and come back down the other way? So you got to be careful. And, and one of the things that we were just talking about, because you were asking me that question, you know, about that, um, you know, where where do you deploy in situations like that? And, uh, you know, you you find value and you either build it in by uh, doing development or deal with those C-class properties and try to bring them up to B's and, uh, you know, still handle it from that standpoint. So a lot of the A-class properties are getting crushed because the the cost of operations is so high, there's nowhere to go, you know, but up. 
And that, right. that becomes very dangerous. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that and we're seeing that in New York. We're seeing that in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, um, the level of concessions that mm-hmm. has to uh, take place for owners to get people into their their buildings, especially when, you know, especially like a downtown Brooklyn, there's a ton of product right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of concessions that are happening. So that, you know, that's usually not built into the models, right, and, you know, it's, right. it's nobody's business model to like, not make money (laughs) and to not, to not collect rent. There's definitely a lot that needs to be mitigated. You have to make sure that you're connected with the the people that are in your residence. But at the end of the day, people are looking for the best deals. And especially in a, like a, you know, like a Brooklyn. And I've just heard of people who are like, you know, they're, they're just apartment hopping because they can find better leases and better, better deals. Yeah. Yeah, you figure you move a few times and you get that free two free months rent yeah. and all that kind of stuff. You, yeah. you do all right. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Well, let me um, bring in uh, Vincent Baker. He's actually a uh, developer in Augusta. You know, since you mentioned that, he's uh, working on some things right now. We're we're actually helping him out with the project. And uh, Vincent, good morning to you. Um, but he mentions here in an emerging market like Augusta, where you are one of the flagship developers. How did you overcome the lack of data? and bringing the vision to the city, investors and the consumer. You know, like I said, he's doing a development project there and maybe he's having a little trouble with that as it relates to sharing that vision. Do you have any input on that? Yeah, so, you know, it's slightly different. We, when we purchased our our property, it was an already existing, it was an already existing off-market opportunity in in Augusta. So, um, it already existing deal. I mean, we we didn't mm-hmm. do ground up, but it was also an off-market opportunity that, that we had gotten. And we were just seeing what was happening. Most of our investors had, had been with us, for, you know, for a while and seen what was happening in terms of prices in the, in, in Atlanta market. So, you know, for us reaching out and, and actually going into a new market, they were, they were actually pretty happy that we were expanding and looking at other places to invest. Augusta is definitely very different than, than in Atlanta. Um, And not only, you know, is it just two hours out and even though it's one of the, I think it's the third largest MSA, if I'm not mistaken, or the second in Georgia, it's still, Mm -hmm. A much smaller market. So, I mean, some of the things that we did was at, at the time we 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 just identified some of the industries that we thought were of note in in the market. And at that time, uh, we we saw a lot happening with like cybersecurity, for example. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of the things that I recommend that people do when they're looking at markets is I you know I I always look at the Economic Development Corporation of of the city. Or, you know, look at just some of the, the city websites because that that's like the city's own like own boasting of what they're doing, where they're mm-hmm. doing their investment. So just like on a macro level, you have to understand where the dollars are going. Do the same thing with the local level as well, so that you can you can understand where where the dollar is going and how the city is defining themselves and where they're making those uh, those particular investments and that helped a long way for us in in that in that vision okay okay hey how's, hey, how's it going man yeah. hey vincent how you doing thanks for for hey, jumping in here uh, yeah man I was, i'm driving so i had trouble trouble uh, getting up on my car while i was uh, on the road but okay Thanks for just spreading this knowledge and giving us this opportunity to listen in. It's great to uh, hear from you and talk about your projects in Atlanta and Augusta. And I, I missed part of it because I had to get back on, but I think I came in at the last of it when you were talking about, I believe you were saying something about working with the city and finding where they want to do projects and where their interests are in, in growing these different communities. Yeah. So I, I, I when I, you know, when I'm looking at a new city or I'm looking at I'm I'm always looking looking at the like the economic development corps for the, for the city to find out 
what are they doing? What do they think are their top industries? Where are, are they investing? How are, you know, I, and then I also do searches for headquarters moving to those cities. I, I try to do like Google alerts or, or things like that to get, so I can get like information periodically about what, what's happening, you know, what's happening there. Also, I, I would say that speaking to, speaking to some of the brokers, if you have connections with any of the local officials also in that area, especially as a developer, I think that those are good partnerships to to develop uh, so that you you can have a pulse on what's happening with people who are you know making some of those decisions and and I think other thing good things can come out of that as well. So I think that those are those are definitely some sources that that I would use to help with your understanding of where the market is going and how you can get your investors comfortable with that with that market. And and how do you how do you feel about the market personally? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for us, it was, it was actually a big, it was a big difference. It's a big difference from, from moving from Atlanta uh, to Augusta. And I would say that with our project, we were, we have definitely, we're in like a C plus, you know, C, C plus neighborhood. We, we have a, 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 you know, like a 1980s, you know, property. And what I found is it's important to have, if you're going to have third-party property management, I think it's important to make sure that you have uh, good connections on the ground. One of the things that we we had experienced was that the initial property manager, like the on-site person, wasn't as connected to the to the local market in terms of sourcing you know, some vendors for us, for example, but for some of the work that we needed to have done. And it, and what we found is that it's, 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 it's not as easy in Atlanta where there's, you know, kind of like a a lot of different contractors to be able to come in to do things. It's, it's a smaller market. So the, our new onsite person has, you know, been doing this for a while, was, is very connected with the area, was able to help us source, some good vendors that we're working with and all of those things have helped have helped a lot but it, it, it is a difference moving from a larger market like Atlanta to to an Augusta so you, you just have to be really I think uh, the more connected you are uh, the you know the the better you'll you'll fare with managing and sourcing for all of the outside and third-party help that you need Thank you. So it goes back to relationships all over again, huh? Yeah, it does. Boy, oh boy. Some things never change. You can't get out of it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Vincent, thank you for joining and participating with that. So, um, and that's what this is all about. It's all about uh, us getting together and, and communicating and talking about opportunities. And and so, uh, you know, we appreciate that. So as we wrap up for today, uh, Sonia, um, you know, what goals do you have for yourself? What, what are you looking to achieve now as, as you go forward? You know, knowing you, you've always got your sights on a, on the next thing. So, you know, where, where would you like to be in the next five years, let's say? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at the at the end of the day, you know, when I'm thinking about our our company and our business. And, you know, I, I say this, I, I say this when, when people ask me sometimes this, this question, you can't pass down like your degrees or, you know, your licenses and, and things like that to your, to your family, but you can pass down, you know, a, a system and a process of acquiring and managing multifamily or, you know, assets overall. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, for, for me, one of the things that, that I'm I'm thinking about and, and that's part of the vision and goal is, is to create that multi-generational system to pass down to, to my family and to also help better the lives of the, the people that invest with us and that live in our communities. So I'm looking towards, you know, growing our business so that we can hand down like a system of cash flows mm-hmm. for our family. And that's, that's really important. Yeah. You know, you, you just touched on something that's, that's very powerful. Um, a few years ago, we, we actually helped out and closed out on a project that was part of the uh, new black wall street in Tulsa. You know, it's, it's quite an amazing story because one thing that was brought out is that generational wealth and knowledge 
didn't transcend. Could you imagine what Tulsa would be today for Black Americans if that had never happened? I mean, it would just be unbelievable. It would be a testimony to what could be done for the whole nation. And unfortunately, because it was burnt down and because of the violence and and people didn't want to talk about it, uh, everything just kind of got swept under the rug. I mean, even myself for many years, I thought it was just kind of a like a fantasy thing. It wasn't a real thing. It wasn't a real place, you know, and then you find out that, yeah, it was. It really was. But you touched on that valid point because that's those connections so often come from family. Right. And so if somebody in the family has done it, that immediate connection is there to help the next generation build on that, you know, and, and you don't have to go outside that circle and try to meet other people to try to make that happen. And the ones that are generally the most wealthiest are the wealthiest families. They all know each other. They associate with each other. They invest with each other. And that's how the, the children of those groups wind up being wealthy too, even though they're not smarter than any one of us. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's an incredible thing. And um, I I think you really just hit the nail on the head with that. It's about being able to uh, I used to call it when I was, you know, doing a lot of workshops and everything about the the family bank, you know, and how the Rockefellers set up uh, a system for themselves with trust and everything else where family members could borrow from the trust. So they always had money. And when a family member would die, that money would go into the trust. So there was always money for the next generation. I mean, it was powerful. But if you don't have that knowledge and those connections, you'll never make that happen. So powerful point. But Sonia, I appreciate you bringing that up. So very, very sure. good. And, yeah. and the other thing is with and commercial real estate and, and, and the, the, the reason that I really love everything that I, I've, I've gotten from REAP is, is because a lot of times when people think about real estate, they they think about and including myself, you know, prior to getting this, getting more exposure is just okay. It's just you know a house or you know that that salesperson down the block who just put up a sign that they're going to sell a house, mm-hmm. but it's so much bigger than that, and there's yeah. so many more aspects mm-hmm. than that, and a lot of it is just exposure. And imagine if people had that, you know, at at, at younger ages yeah. and. So it makes me me happy when, you know, my my five-year-old daughter is saying, mommy, are, are you going on the call to talk about the property investments? She calls it property investments. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's just the exposure is, you know, that's the initial part of it. I mean, it, yeah. not everything is for everybody, mm-hmm. but you have to know to be right. able to make that choice. Yeah, I, I couldn't second that more. I mean, I, I always used to say how it's amazing that, 125th Street in Harlem is one train stop on the A or the D train from Billionaire's Row. One train stop, right? And yet and still the, the, the mental difference between the people in those two areas is so stark. You know, why can't you get that exposure to understand that? It's on the same island, right? A few miles apart. But the mindset is so different. So if you're not exposed to, yeah, you can actually own that building. Yeah, you can actually, you know, be the landlord of this or own this or own that. Then you'll never even think about it being a possibility. You'll think your only way out of your situation. I know when I was a kid growing up, it was drugs and sports. You know, that was the only way out of the out of the hood, drugs or sports, you know, and and getting still you got one train stop between Billionaire's Row and 125th Street. It's unbelievable. So that exposure is extremely important. So thank you for bringing that out. I do. We run a little short on time because I know you got to get to another meeting. Toya wanted to um, jump in and say something real quick before we left. Toya, are you available? Yes, yes, I'm available. Um, good morning, everyone. Sonia, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Thank you so much for your time. This was a very timely um, presentation for me. I, I am in Atlanta. I went through Atlanta week in 2019, so I did have the pleasure of meeting Joel as well, but I followed you for a while, um, Sonia, and I've heard you speak on other platforms, and um, your story has resonated um, so much with me because I'm in transition from a very large, one of the very large CBRA, um, uh, corporate real estate myself, <laughs> and you know, just the, like you said earlier, the support of family, you know, and just being so thankful for my husband as I make this transition. But I, I did want to ask, um, what made uh, multifamily resonate with you over other commercial real estate assets? 
Yeah. So for me, I I think part of it is being from New York. I I, I grew up in apartment buildings, you know, like I, I just connected with the, you know, what it's like to live in an apartment building. Also, when I just think about some of the uh, other asset classes, you know, retail, I, I, I thought that was interesting too, but I thought at the end of the day, like, people need a place to live people, you know, you're providing a a basic need. So I thought that that would likely be always in demand because people need a place to live. And then in just in terms of single family versus, you know, multifamily, it, it, that was really more of like an economy of scale to me, like having 50 different houses. And some for some people, they can make it work really well. Like, you know, they have their 50 houses and they're able to service them and, and manage them. But for me, I think 50 houses, 50 roofs, 50 lawns, 50 tax bills. So yeah. that economy of scale of having a concentrated space of of units just just really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. And again, I appreciate your time and the knowledge and information you've shared with us this morning. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And yeah. continue good luck on your, on your journey as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. So thanks you for bringing that out to you. You know, you think about the asset classes, we won't really get into it in today's discussion. But, uh, you know, industrial is doing extremely well right now. But when they go vacant, they go vacant. Right. There's generally one tenant, you know, generally single tenant assets. Um, you look at offices. We see what's going on with that right now. You know, you can work from home, but, you know, you don't have to necessarily have an office. And then, you know, retail obviously got punched in the jaw uh, with this as well. So there certainly is. People always have to have a place to live. And uh, Sonia, you definitely, uh, Sonia, I'm sorry, you definitely uh, brought out the, uh, the the key points in the value of doing that. So we certainly appreciate it. So any other comments before we break? I know you got to get out of here. Yeah, you got about five minutes to your next call. So um, we'll go ahead and end it there. Sonia, any final comments for us today as we wrap up? Thank you for having me on. Thanks for having this platform. I think that it's really important that people connect and they connect with each other. Another valuable thing with REAP is, um, you know, the, the people in your class. So, mm-hmm. you know, be be sure to uh, make sure that you stay connected with them. Even in this virtual environment, in some ways, you know, you can, you can reach people a little easier because you can do a Zoom call and people are... Are at home, but I really just think that it's uh, it's um, this is an amazing platform, and I appreciate you, Joel, for 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 having it. Sure, sure. Well, thank you for being part of it. We certainly appreciate it. And to uh, all of you who might be watching or listening, to this this is the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're certainly happy to have you with us today and to join us. And uh, please continue to tune in in the future for other. Fantastic guests like Sonia Rockfield that are doing amazing things in the commercial real estate space. We're really fortunate to have her with us. And uh, she just put her uh, email address in the chat box. So make sure you grab that and keep in touch with her. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Monday at 10 a.m. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks. Make it a great day. Take care, everyone. Okay, you too. Take care now. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.